scripture from chapter 5 of the Gospel according to Matthew. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter and not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And... Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Good morning. It's tall up here. Um, I'm honored and humbled to be preaching here in my home. Our scripture today comes from the 58th chapter of Isaiah. This section of Isaiah was written when the Israelites had returned home after being forcibly relocated by the Babylonians. They're now back in Jerusalem and have begun rebuilding the city and the temple. This should be an exciting celebration. And yet, Isaiah tells us that the people are mocking God by daring to ask for forgiveness and protection while continuing to mistreat and oppress the people around them. Isaiah writes, that while the community may feel like they are free and finally home, they are still participating in the mistreatment of others. But he says that healing and restoration of the city will come when we pursue justice and tend to every person who goes hungry. This is a sermon I pray we've heard many times. But how does confronting our wrongdoings bring us healing and bring us joy? And what stops us? That's what I'm going to explore today. Will you take a deep breath with me and join me in prayer? Mother God, you hear every cry. You seek justice and healing for every person. You deliver us into community. Help us hear your guidance for this sacred work. May the meditations of all our hearts and the words of my mouth bring us closer to you, our rock and our redeemer. Barbara did a great job reading the long scripture today, so thank you. Um, Isaiah 58 opens with the shouting that the people are in rebellion. 
The people are going to the temple, fasting, praying, seeking forgiveness to God for favorable, praying to God for favorable judgments, but their actions are not bearing fruit. They are not restoring community. And God says, this is not the fast I want. I want you to choose the fast that loosens the bonds of injustice. Since many of us don't fast for spiritual reasons, it's important to say that fasting here is part of a process, seeking forgiveness for the harms you've committed. Fasting here is not about self-control or losing a few pounds, or even simply avoiding food and water. This fast is a time set apart from daily life for reflection on the Word of God, on ourselves, and on community. When I speak to friends who do fast, they talk about how it helps them become present and helps them bring clarity on their life, community, and God. It's in the same family as meditation and deep breathing. It helps us reset. Fasting in this passage is a key element in the process of repentance. We often, though, have an overly punishing definition of repentance. But more simply, it means to turn away from the behaviors and beliefs that do harm and to turn towards the behaviors and beliefs that do good, that bring you closer to God, to healing, and to community. In that process, you are making yourself more present. You are opening yourself for greater clarity from God so that you can know how to love your neighbor. In nearly every community, there is a process of repentance and repair. I've studied a lot of different ones all over the world. This is a process to bring people back into good relationships after they've done harm. This fall, I was um, honored to attend my, my first Yom Kippur service with a friend. This is a day in the Jewish community when you enter a time of deep reflection on the promises you made to God and to each other. You reflect on all the ways you fell short on fulfilling those promises, on all the ways you did harm, both intentionally and not. You bring these shortcomings and failures to God and to community to seek forgiveness and to turn towards a renewed commitment to following all God's ways of justice and compassion. However, the people mentioned in Isaiah are participating in this practice with their own self-interest in mind. They're using these public displays of repentance to pick fights with each other. And worse, they continue to treat their family and workers with the same disdain and injustice they have supposedly sought forgiveness. They have fasted, but have not become present to the community or to God. In a process meant to bring you face to face with your wrongdoing, they have become blinded by their own self-interest and can no longer see how they are causing harm or acknowledge their responsibility to alleviate the harm of others. 
This scripture is a message to the time in our lives when we must seek forgiveness, when we must be honest about our failings and the ways we've harmed people. Now, anybody who knows me may not find this surprising. I found it particularly easy in reading this scripture to point my finger at a certain political party and a certain movement seemingly bent on pretending to be for the people while destroying voting rights and blocking the child tax credits. There are people playing at forgiveness, making public apologies, and yet rarely changing their behaviors. It's easy for us in this moment of polarization in our country for us to point our fingers and say, they, they need repentance. But this text in Isaiah challenges us to see where we need repentance, where I need to repent. Not only does our scripture ask us to reflect on this question, but so does our prayer of confession that we celebrate, that we uh, say when we practice and celebrate communion. The confession reads, Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us. Unfortunately, I know that sometimes I let my shame and guilt become an excuse and a barrier that stops me from turning towards the good and practicing repair. Truth without repair is not repentance. The healing and liberation that Isaiah talks about is not found if we only admit our guilt. Liberation and joy comes when we participate in righting injustice. We experience joy when we move towards a different way of living. Joy is on the other side of guilt. Audre Lorde, who was a self-described, quote, black, lesbian, mother, warrior, poet, who dedicated both her life and her creative talent to confronting and addressing injustices of racism, sexism, classism, and homophobia. In her speech, The Uses of Anger, Women Responding to Racism, she said, guilt is a response to one's own actions or lack of actions. If it leads to change, then it can be useful, since it is then no longer guilt, but the beginning of knowledge. Yet too often, guilt is just another name for impotence, for defensiveness destructive of communication. It becomes a device to protect ignorance and the continuation of things the way they are, the ultimate protection for changelessness. I'll rephrase. Guilt is a response to one's own actions and or lack of actions. But if it leads to change, it is transformed 
and becomes the beginning of knowledge. It becomes the beginning of new life, a new identity. Guilt without repair gives the idea that there is nothing to be done. In verse 8, Isaiah is saying that not only is God wanting us to care for the poor, for the hungry, the oppressed, but that when we dare to turn towards the work of loosening the bonds of injustice, when we dare to move towards, move through our guilt and shame towards deeper knowledge and action, it is then that we find the light of God shining through us like the dawn, like a lamp on the hill. The idea that there is healing and repentance and repair isn't just written about in our scriptures. Studies actually show that when we honestly and humbly and compassionately practice self-reflection and seek forgiveness, we experience healthier, healthier relationships. We are less stressed. We even have stronger immune systems. In that process, we become more aware of how others are experiencing the world and how our actions can contribute to others' well-beings or not. We become aware that this isn't just about me and my shortcomings, it's about our shortcomings as a society. These individual practices build our capacity to look on ourselves and others with compassion. We become aware of all the ways we can grow, all the ways we can be transformed, and all the ways we can move closer to justice and to God. At the end of our confession in our communion, we say, free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Joyful obedience comes from our experience of healing, of release from guilt, because we have taken responsibility for our actions, because God has met us on that turn towards the good with grace. When we continue to practice truly taking account of our actions and seeking to repair the harm done, it becomes a habit. We find joy repeatedly on the other side of guilt, shame, and denial. Now, in a brief note, when we practice repentance, the person we harmed does not owe us forgiveness. They are no less a Christian, no less a good person, because they cannot or will not forgive us. Our responsibility in these moments is not to force reconciliation. Our responsibility is to honestly admit to our wrongdoing and to allow the other person the dignity to choose their way towards their own healing and justice. This repentance and repair seems simple on paper but it's really incredibly hard work. And I don't know why some of the simplest tasks are the hardest, or why some people can build this practice and others resist it, or why I have to sometimes keep working on the same shortcomings. I just know that when I honestly and humbly faced my own failings, and the failings of our society, 
I have found joy and a wellspring that I didn't know was possible in joining others and God to build a beloved community.